science enthusiasts. My name is Jason Zakowski. I'm the dog dad of Bunsen and Beaker, the science dogs on social media. And my co-host is... Hi there. My name is Chris Zakowski and I am the dog mom to Bunsen and Beaker and the cat mom to Ginger. Welcome to SciChat. This is our new roundup show where we talk about the big stories of the month. And uh, Chris and I kind of go back and forth. It's short, so it's only about a half an hour long. And if there's any discussion at the end, we'll open up the floor to people who want to ask questions or maybe have extra things they'd love to talk about in the realm of science. It was a big deal. And this is actually from earlier this week. The uh, OSIRIS-REx satellite touched down with a little chunk of an asteroid for the first time ever. And OSIRIS-REx stands for Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer. So you can probably guess why they call it OSIRIS-REx. This was launched a while ago, Chris, 2016. 2016 it launched 2016 yeah and then in 2020 it it actually landed on that asteroid you mentioned called Bennu and the asteroid it landed on was like all screwed up like it was basically if you smushed up like a bunch of like Cheerios together like you made them wet and you went kind of what crunched it together that's what the asteroid looked like so it was a real challenge for Osiris Rex to land on Bennu, but they successfully did it. It landed. It took a scoop of asteroid goo and it like it has a little I think it had like a, a couple other samples or air blowers or it took some gas gas samples coming off of it. And that was in 2020. And then it took till 2023 for the for for Osiris Rex Rex to get back to Earth and it landed successfully. At the Dug Away Proving right. Ground. Now, Jason, talk to me. What? No, talk to me. <laughs> you need to talk to me about asteroid goo. I thought asteroids were made out of rock. No, I was being silly. It, it took a it took a rocky sample. It's just more fun to think that okay. the asteroids well, made of goo. No, it isn't. It's not very scientifically accurate. Oh, but it's I thought boy, it's more I whimsical. Was about asteroids all wrong. No, no, it was, so it was a rock. It took a. So it bored in to take the sample. Yeah. Yeah. This is NASA's n- now into the rock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. What my understanding was. Yeah. So this is the first sample for NASA. The Japanese have had uh, some more successful attempts with their Hayabusa one and two. Um, I saw somebody post in the chat. Yeah, I was, was going to. Yeah. I was going to get to that. Um, if I misspoke, I meant NASA. NASA has this is NASA's first asteroid chunk. That it's brought back. Sorry, what were you going to say, Chris? No, I already said what I was going to say. Oh, you okay. Yeah, you betcha. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. They they are going to section up. I get. I guess the the sample NASA gets to keep most of it. I guess because they're NASA. Um, but guess who else is getting a little bit of it? Um. The Canadian Space Agency, the CSA. Yeah, Canada gets 4% of the sample. 4%, you know? So I guess that makes sense because that's about what the exchange rate is for the American dollar for us. Our, the Canadian dollar is worth about 4% of the American dollar. So that's fair. That's pretty fair. And the Japanese uh, the Japanese gets, gets some too. 
uh, they yeah, the Japanese, but they've already got samples. But Chris, they already they already have samples from their their Hayabusa uh, satellites. So good job for for the Japanese JAXA. They're called Japanese Aerospace. What does JAXA stand for? Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency. But I guess they like the X in exploration. That's why it's JAXA and not JAIA. <laughs> JAXA sounds cooler. Anyways, that's the first story, Chris. Very exciting. What do you think they're going to find in I it? I know. You think they're going to find what, anything cool or is it just rocks? I bet you the geologists are all excited. Yeah. Well, it is a triumphant end with a successful retrieval of the asteroid Bennu samples. Yes. Like did a- you talk about um, the capsule's descent, experience extreme conditions, speeds up to 27,000 miles per hour and heat up to 5,300 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, I didn't. I just figured that was normal because that's that? no, because that's how fast you drive, right? That's how fast you drive, anyways. So it's not out of the normal for you. Yeah, and that's how hot I am. <laughs> it's true. You're that hot. Five thousand three hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Hot. You make steam look cool. Yeah, I do. I make steam look cool. That's uh, from Hercules. That's from Hercules. That's right. So I got a question, Chris. Um, you answer, right. So you said the other night I was snoring like that was, yes, I don't normally snore, but apparently I was snoring very, very loudly. (laughs) It was the most bizarre experience because Jason does not snore. And I was like, what is that sound? And for a sound to wake me out of a deep sleep, because (laughs) as you know, I close my eyes and then. I'm asleep instantaneously. Yes. You sleep through something to everything. Wake me up. Yes. Everything. Um, so should so, I tape? Should I yeah, tape? You were snoring the other night. Yeah. Should I tape my mouth shut? What? Well, so I, well, so there's a new trend on TikTok. Oh God. Um, and it's called yeah, it's called mouth taping. Mouth taping. And this is a trending practice where individuals tape their mouths shut at night to encourage. Uh, Zach Ford tried mouth taping after surgery for a deviated uh, septum. And so that improved his nasal breathing, but not the nighttime breathing. So um, I guess the surgery improved his nasal breathing, but not the nighttime breathing. And so this person, Zach Ford found uh, mouth taping highly effective um, and improving his sleep quality significantly. So more research is needed um, because it, there's not necessarily uh, an understanding of the potential risks um, and benefits, and there's limited scientific data to support the claims that uh, mouth taping offers benefits such as preventing teeth grinding, bad breath, snoring, sleep apnea, and it could potentially improve your jaw strength. Right. I think what now it's all anecdotal at this point, right? Like it's like people saying it's been working for them, and it hasn't actually gone through any significant studies. So that's right. So there needs to be more uh, rigorous studies done. Um, But mouth tape has been observed to enhance the effectiveness of CPAP treatment 
in some cases. Mm-hmm. In some sleep studies, they so yeah they've I don't think they've used like scotch tape or duct tape, but like a specific kind of apparatus you would put to keep your lips closed. And maybe that's where this is coming from. Right. At least that's my understanding of this, uh, this the, the kind of the bulletin about mouth taping. Right. And some um, experts raise concerns about the safety and potential risks, um, especially because uh, some people just follow the trends on platforms like TikTok. Yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in taping your mouth closed, please consult a healthcare provider uh, before trying it. I love that. Well, I guess if I continue to snore, maybe that's an option. Um, just tape my mouth shut, Chris. No. Um, <laughs> no, we should have a mouth guard. I do have a mouth guard. Yeah, that's right. I do have a mouth guard. <laughs> Because you were grinding your teeth. Yep. I haven't, I haven't been anymore though. The dentist said it looks good. Because you haven't been wearing your mouth guard even. That's amazing. I know. I know. Well, so I guess we shouldn't just blindly follow trends on TikTok. That's, I think the main message. Right. Um, Tide pods, anyone? Or I love the one. There's one on Facebook that made me absolutely batty. Uh, like people were saying that if you're sick, you put an onion in your sock, you put a, you, um, you like make wear wet socks and you put an onion in your sock and then you absorb like the onion juices and it cures your like sickness. And that was definitely a thing a while ago, but I, that was definitely, what? that didn't work. What? I don't know. Well, I think if you eat enough onions, you'll maybe have some kind of issue, but I don't think you absorb onion through your skin very well. We are not. Yeah. yeah we're, we don't. We don't absorb nutrients that way. So speaking of things that are maybe too good to be true, I called this in September. I called this weeks ago and it was all over Twitter and there were spaces running about it and people were getting way too hyped up. It was room temperature superconductors. Uh, I swear every year there's some new quote unquote breakthrough about room temperature superconductor superconductors that we have only work when they're very, 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 very cold. Um, and it's like something that we're scientists are always working towards and they're very excited about. And there's a physicist named Ranga Diaz from the university of Rochester. And this scientist said that he had discovered uh, a way to make superconductors work at room temperature. Everybody was very skeptical. Um, the scientific community was extremely skeptical. Uh, but there are, like, if that was ever to be a thing, it would be revolutionary for all of us. You would have very little electricity resistance with everything that we depend upon. Um, you would have very little electricity needed to have things like super fast trains. You would have teeny tiny capacitors in everything. So, Life would be very different if we did have room temperature superconductors. Um, sadly, though, there were two paper retractions and plagiarism allegations. So currently, there is even more huge skepticism around the scientist. And the problem was is that other scientists who are working on 
room temperature superconductors are very sad about all this development because now it makes them look bad. If they ever do make an incremental breakthrough, it's going to be looked at with, <laughs> are you sure? Because the last guy was just making stuff up kind of things. So that's a little bit disappointing, but it is part of the science news of September. And I know for a fact there were tweets about it and people were running spaces and getting all like audio shows like this and getting all hyped up. Sadly, it looks like it's a bust, but there's hope room temperature superconductors inch closer to reality every single year. I'm going to talk about birds and I really enjoy birds. And once upon a time I had a budgie and his name was Oshkosh. And we got Oshkosh when Duncan was little. Yeah. And this bird, super cute, but super evil. <laughs> yeah, Oshkosh was a pet you looked at from very far away. Uh, we thought it would sit on your shoulder or like sing to you. And we were very kind and very gentle to this bird, but it never warmed up to people like at all. No. It was, it would bite and it was evil. Um, so I want to talk about vocal learning in birds. Okay. Um, and that's the ability to mimic sounds for communication. So that is akin to language in humans. So as we know, crows and parrots are considered the most intelligent birds and they are known for their vocal learning abilities. So there has been previous studies on the relationship between vocal learning and intelligence in birds. Um, but those studies have produced conflicting results. So a new study um, analyzed 214 birds from 23 different species to explore the link between vocal learning and cognitive abilities. And this was um, this study is kind of the first of its kind to examine multiple bird species in this context. So what they found um, is vocal complexity um, and how they evaluated that was based on the number of songs and calls a species could learn and how long it took them to learn it, so their learning period, and the ability to mimic other species. And birds were also presented with seven cognitive tests over six days, including problem solving, learning, and self-control tests. And what they found is problem solving ability, not learning or self-control, showed a strong association with more complex vocal learning in birds. And the study found a correlation between that complex vocal learning, enhanced problem solving, and larger brains relative to body size. So this suggests that a bigger brain may be cruci crucial for excelling in both vocal learning and problem solving. And this is awesome because uh, scientists plan to investigate the genetic basics, basis of these links, um, these link traits which could shed light on the evolution of human language. Ah, so like if a bird knows more sounds it's a smarter bird is that the idea as a bigger brain uh, no so if it's able to um vocalize so that uh how they can uh do different sounds oh uh, the more different sounds it can make the smarter it is 
Yeah. So the te- the tufted uh, titmouse with sixty three vocalizations learned throughout <laughs> its life outperformed the brown headed cowbird, which um, we know that the brown headed cowbird is a parasitic bird. They're the ones who yeah they're stupid. The, yeah, they we have them here, and they push out the eggs of other birds, and then they take over their nest. Um, and that bird only learned nine within a set period. I love the names of birds. Like they're not good around middle school kids. No, like the tufted titmouse. No. And then you talk about the blue-footed boobies. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure there's other there's ones a, that make middle school kids giggle. There are a ton of names like that that are best left to be like, oh, it's just a bird. <laughs> but we do have cowbirds here. Like they're annoying. We do. Yeah. Do you want to hear I look some? At them and I think. What? You go ahead. No, go ahead. I've just got a list of uh, inappropriately inappropriately named birds, but they're actually called that. Do you want to hear some? Okay. Well, you. Uh, absolutely, I do. Well, one is called the great tit. Another one's. <laughs> I can't say this. I can't say this. Okay, this one. This one's called the rough-faced shag. Here's another one. So, re- like, does it look, does it, go ahead. Okay, then we have the horned screamer, sometimes known as the horny screamer. That's awful. And there's like sixty more of these. So you know, probably named back in a time when none of these words were that inappropriate. Sorry, I got us off track. Um, we were talking about bird yeah, bird you- brains. I have a bird brain. You went down a rabbit hole. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, that's my, um, that's my, uh, thing. I love parrots. I love parrots. You know that, right? I do. Yeah. I wanted to get a parrot, but they are, they live so long and they're where we are. I don't know. Like, are they ethical to get? Like you have to, you I don't know if you can rescue them. You have to buy them and they're crazy expensive. I don't know if they're an ethical pet to have, but I always like, I think parrots are so cool. Um, They do require a lot of work. I did a bunch of research before this is before Callan, I think, but they are, they are really, really smart. Well, winter's coming. Are you excited about that? Chris? Um, I saw that there's going to be El Nino, something to do with the weather. And I did was scared to click on it because I don't know if that's good or bad. If that's going to be like a super cold winter. I heard that it's going to be a super cold winter. So any news articles about the winter, I quit them. I click out of the tab, quit the winter before I even can read about the winter. El Nino is like, oh, it's going to be hot. La Nina is like, it's cool. That's how Dr. Catherine Halo no, explained I've, it. Isn't that the opposite? Oh, it's so cold. No, no, no. Ah, it's warm. No, ah, no, it's cold. Like it's a cool, cool breeze. Anyways, so. So it's going to be warm. I can look at these articles and read about them well, and you, be happy. Well, you can. Why because there's so much snow in the article? Well, I don't know, but I'll tell you that it could always be worse because my study is about really, really bad cold times. Nearly a million years ago, there was a horrific 
extreme cold stretch that also coincided with droughts in the summer. And this occurred where humans were first kind of like moving away from Africa. And let's just say it wasn't great for ancient ancestors. Um, the, <laughs> the, the total, it gets a little dodgy because they're using uh, computer models to get there. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, but the total number of pre-human creatures at this time were between 50,000 and about 140,000 like humans. There weren't humans at this time. They were like a, a species before humans. And based on their statistical modeling, uh, that number dropped to around 1,300 people. So the whole line of like succession to like where we are today just about went extinct during this extreme cold snap and like really bad drought. So things could be worse, Chris. It could be as bad as it was for our like ancient ancestors nearly a million years ago. I don't know. Are you there? I am. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So how do you figure they decided this? How do you go back in time and figure out anything related to this? What would you do if you didn't have a time machine? I would use a new statistical method. Okay. That's just what it says. Um, but they, uh, well, what I was going to say, uh, how I go back in time is I go to like count the years and if it's like four years, then I multiply my population, um, by an exponent of negative four. And then I go back in time to find my population before. So I use a formula, mathematical formula. That's what I do. Oh, you do that in like math 20. Math 10. Math 10. Common. Right. So. They took actually um, the genes, they looked at genetic variation within people from Africa and non-African populations. And they looked for genes from people in Africa that weren't necessarily present in people not from Africa. African populations maybe have a bit more ancient genome and people not from Africa have slightly varied genome. And they use statistical analysis to figure out if there was a, basically a gene crash, like at a point in time, all of a sudden there was no more genes that potentially was from a previous uh, creature. And, and that's where their statistical analysis led them. So, there, there is a some. There are some people who are, you know, raising their eyebrows that you can be this accurate and kind of figure out how many people, like subhuman people, existed nearly a million years ago. Um, but they they do these modelings all of the time, and it is likely that the people at this time, the the you know the the subhuman people, did evolve into us and our more early ancestors like uh, Neanderthals and the Disovians. Um, So there were like three competing, you know, subhuman species, our ancestors, the Neanderthals and the Disovians. And there seems to be some evidence that because those other creatures have had their genome sequenced, um, somebody won a Nobel prize for it. Actually, they can look, they can use that to find basic like a gene crash. So we're maybe more lucky to be here than we thought. And winter could always be worse. 
That's the moral of the story, Chris. What? Yes. Winter could always. You're right. It can always be worse. That's what you said to me when um, I found that the students changed my last name when I wrote it on the board and then they changed it to Wachowski, um, like wacky, Zacky. Anyway, so you texted back to me and you said, you know what, Chris, it could be worse. Yeah, everything, you know what? everything could be worse. Everything can be worse. So you remember when it's minus 40 in January, you could just be thinking about, you know, the the near extinction level event that froze our ancestors a million years ago. It could be worse. Right. Don't you just tell me to put on a coat? Yeah, that's, that's what, what you it, always tell me. Yeah, just put on a coat, cuddle under the blanket, get Bunsen to lay on you. All of those things heat you up right now. If Bunsen lays on you, you're probably going to suffocate, though. So you'll be warm, but you might die. Okay. Because he's heavy. Well, and that that's the science roundup. That is it. That's the science show for today. Well, thanks for coming to another month's science roundup. Um, I learned a bit. I learned how to say things in Spanish better and that's great because I that's not a language I know or speak at all uh, Chris how what do you what did you think did you learn anything uh, you know I learned a little bit about the mouth breathing and right. the tape yeah um, and that would be that would be interesting to I don't know Jason I snore so do you <laughs> want me to get do you want me to get some mouth breathing tape no I just body check you and you stop Oh, okay. Um, So I guess that's the strategy.